Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, I invite you this morning to turn in your copy of the scripture. Hopefully you have one here this morning uh, to the book of Colossians chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. We've got some available at the back and you can take it as your own. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take it, give it to them. They're there to be read. Um, I was talking with a friend earlier this week and he was talking about the journey through the Bible that we've been doing last year and this year, just just our regular reading through the Bible. And one of the things he said was um, reading through the scriptures last year was absolutely transparent transformational for him. His phrase was, I feel like I became a Christian last year. And I, he knows that, you know, that, that reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Um, but he was just saying that to underscore how important reading God's word is for our walk with Jesus. In fact, it's really hard to grow deeply in our walk with Jesus without engaging the word of God, which is given to us and for us. And so we are uh, just incredibly blessed to have uh, a copy version to open up and to be immersing ourselves in day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. We are in the book of Colossians, towards the end of the Bible. Uh, It's one of the prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. He's writing this most likely from prison in Rome around the time of 60 AD, and he's writing this to a small church, probably one of the smallest churches being addressed in all of Asia Minor at this time, and they're in the place of the city called Colossae. Colossae is in the middle, I should have brought a map, I didn't bring a map today, uh, but, but they're in the middle of Asia Minor, kind of down, n- not on the coast, but kind of inland a little bit, and they're near a couple of big cities, Hierapolis and Laodicea. In, in fact, Colossae was very famous um, for wool production and for selling that wool um, already dyed to merchants and stuff around the area. And one point in time, there's, a, there's an ancient historian that calls it a great city, but about 10 or 15 years before the time of Paul's writing in Colossae, we have another Roman historian that basically says this is a small city. So it's a city that was once huge in size and has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled in part because of where the trade route was rerouted to. Um, So Paul is writing to a likely small congregation gathered in a bunch of houses under the leadership of a guy most most likely under the leadership of Pastor Epaphras. And and there's other people involved within this community. And he's writing because he wants to establish something very firm and very strong in their life. And that is Christ. <laughs> it, we, we sang it all this morning. And Paul says it all throughout Colossians that Christ is to be first place in everything. there's this bedrock or this foundation that he wants all believers who grow in maturity to to not forget you can have all the bells and whistles of what a church community does, but if you don't have Jesus Christ as the foundation of everything that you do and everything that you are, you are missing the point. 
right? And he's going to say a couple different things. They're talking about this Christ having first place in everything. He's going to say a couple different things in our passage today. The first thing he's going to say is Christ is supreme over all creation. The second thing he's going to say is that Christ is over the body, the church, and he ought to have first place in everything in that body. And then the last thing that he's going to say in our passage is that here's why. Because God has reconciled sinners who were once far off, alienated, separated in sin, and he's brought them near through the blood of his son. Like, or the blood of the Father, Son, Christ. So that is what we're looking at today. Don't miss in our study that Jesus is the foundation of everything. And last week we were talking about prayer and knowing the will of God and how we can know the will of God. In fact, it says this, this is Paul's prayer. For, um, for the Colossian believers in verse 9. We just, this is just a little bit of review for, for those of us to remember where we're going and where we're coming from. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you, Paul says. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Like, he believes, Paul confidently believes that these believers can be filled with the knowledge of God's will in their life. He believes that. Because they've got the word of God. They've got the spirit of God. They have all they need established and rooted in Christ. He believes that they can know God's will. Now, that may not be them having the clarity of all the things in life, but it's knowing exactly what God wants them to do, exactly when God wants them to do it. But last week, I I shared something with you at the very end, because this is so important about seeking to know God's will, and it's this. My, one of my professors, Dr. Bill Thrasher, once said it this way, the pursuit of God's will is first and foremost a pursuit of God himself. To seek God's will and not God will result in confusion. And, and I don't know how many of you have experienced that kind of confusion. Um, e- even this last week, right? We talked all about this last week. And what do I step into this week? I step into Jeremy trying to seek God's will in Jeremy's power and in Jeremy's strength and in not pursuing God first. And so it resulted in confusion. <laughs> it's kind of a natural thing. We have so many years in, in, in um, past histories of, of leaning on our own strength that going to God and saying, all right, Lord, I'm willing to just sit here until you reveal. And God, when you reveal, I'm willing to walk. <laughs> I'm willing to walk in faithfulness. It's a hard thing to do sometimes. But notice that Paul says, as we looked at last week, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will, passive tense there, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. God's intention is that we walk worthy of the Lord in how we live. And so that's just a little bit of where we've been. Um, This morning, though, we're going to talk about one of the threats that the church there and the community there has with regard to Christ being first place in everything. One of the the heresies that goes around in the first century, and it actually goes for several other centuries, is is a heresy called Gnosticism. Now, I actually don't think that this is the only heresy going on, and we'll look at some of the other heresies as we get into chapter two of Colossians. But um, Gnosticism was a very um, destructive and and, and, um, difficult heresy for the church to deal with. But here's what Gnosticism believed. There's two principles to Gnosticism. The first one is this. Gnosticism asserts a dualism regarding spirit, which they thought of as good and matter or, or flesh or body that they thought of as evil. So one of the ways that this 
um, kind of inserted itself into the early church is they believed, many Gnostics believed, that Jesus didn't really come fully in the flesh because he would not take upon himself flesh and blood because that's, that's evil. And so he's just a spirit being here on earth. So he didn't actually die. He didn't actually give of his own life. He didn't actually give of his own blood. And we're going to read several times in our passage today where Paul seems to underscore Jesus came in flesh and blood. He, he stepped down, the eternal God stepped down into, from eternity down into human time and took his dwelling amongst us. And he actually died an actual death to pay and to, recon, to pay for sin and to reconcile sinners back to himself. So Gnosticism believes um, that, that there's a dualism. Spirit is good, matter or, or flesh or body are bad. Um, the second principle that it has is that Gnosticism claims that there's a higher truth known only to a certain few. They would say, oh, you don't have the full revelation of that. We really, really know everything of what is going on. And the problem with that is that Paul has just said, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. There's like this battle for knowledge. Knowledge is something that can be really destructive because you can know, I can know almost anything in the world. We can, you can have a PhD in religion and in theology and not know Jesus. You can know a lot of stuff, but never have met the man who came, who came and who lived and who died to bring you life. It's really easy to do. Um, Gnosticism claims that there's this higher truth only known to um, but a few. So the problems with this are many, but a couple of them are that with, with this dualism between spirit and matter, the grossest sin would have no moral meaning because what matters is spirit. Whatever you do in the flesh, it doesn't really matter. But God says it matters how you walk right? It matters how we live our life. So what is done in the flesh does matter to God. The second thing um, that, that, that they would say is that, that real life is lived in the spirit, but Jesus coming to this earth actually indicates that, that we have life in the spirit and we also have life in the flesh. And so real life is lived out in all of the areas of life. This idea of having a, a higher truth, they believe that truth was based on a mystical, intuitive, subjective, inward, emotional approach to truth known only to those who have special insight. On the contrary, we're given the complete and final word of God that leads and guides us into truth with the working of the Spirit. In fact, they are sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness. You, you want to know what matters to God? Open the text, right? Open the text and begin to explore this Jesus whom we serve. And he will reveal himself to you through his word and by the working of his spirit. We can know truth because God has revealed it. So just, just a couple of other things about Gnosticism, and then we'll move on. Um, Gnostics believed that God was a spirit, could not create matter because matter was seen as evil. Thus, they also believed that Jesus was not unique. They actually believed that Jesus was an emanation of God. In other words, that he was a being or a force removed from God. So he was not of supreme status, which is what he, as Paul's going to address right here in our passage today, they also would believe that Jesus 
did not live a bodily life because the body was evil. And salvation for the Gnostics believed that intellectual knowledge was more important in salvation than the redemption, forgiveness, and life that comes through Jesus' actual life, death, and resurrection. So you need to have this kind of understanding that when it comes to, um, when it comes to trying to figure out how do we place Christ as first in everything, that there was a whole lot of um, false teaching that began infiltrating into various areas. And Paul wanted to set them back on ground zero and say, you need to know Christ is the foundation of everything. His life, his death, his resurrection, foundation of everything. And because he is the foundation of everything and because he is the reconciler, he ought to have rightfully the first place in your life. And so look with me, please. Colossians chapter one, let's read in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, he is the image of, of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. This word image is the word icon. Can you say icon? All right. It's the Greek word from which we get icon. Like you have an icon on your screen or you have an icon that's a logo. It it means image or living image. It means that which has the same form of something. Um, The Hebrew version of this word we find back in Genesis chapter one. And it says in Genesis chapter one that God created man in his image. He created the male and female. What I want you to notice is while it's talking about us as image bearers, people who are separated from the creation by having a stamp or a living image of God upon our lives. It says here that Jesus, it does not say here that Jesus was made in the image of God. What it says is that he is the image of God. Do you see the difference? He is the image of God. He's not just a God as some false religions would like to teach. He is actually God incarnate. He is the image of the invisible God. In fact, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter three that says this, just another way to say it. It says the sun, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So when God looks at Jesus, when we look at who Jesus is, we are not just looking at an emanation from God, as the Gnostics would say. We're not just looking at at someone who is in some way a, a form of a God. We are looking at someone who is the exact expression of the nature of God. And this made a lot of people in the first century upset. In fact, it made a lot of people upset with Jesus because he would make these claims like, I and the Father are one. He said one time, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And to a Jewish audience, that is like blasphemy. In fact, that's why they wanted to stone him a couple different times, because he made these claims that he was not just a God, or he wasn't just a representative of God, but he claimed that he was God in the flesh. And so we, we see this, that, that Jesus is revealing himself and the scriptures have revealed himself as, as the actual expression, the exact expression of the nature of God who sustains all things by his powerful word. He's not just an image bearer. He actually is the exact representation of God. 
So that's what that means. We come to this next verse, and, and this whole first verse is asserting something about who Jesus is. So number one, it asserts that he is the image of the invisible God. The second thing that it asserts is that he is firstborn over all creation. Now, this is an important one for us to, to grapple with here because there have been people throughout time that say, see, see, he's firstborn, so he was born, so he was created, right? Th that's maybe an easy way that you could take this text and wrangle it to, to death and not accurately represent it. Firstborn of creation does not refer to a birth order. Sometimes the word firstborn in the scripture does refer to a birth order. Sometimes it doesn't in other passages. Like in the Hebrew Bible, one time Israel is referred to as a firstborn. And it doesn't mean that he is firstborn. It just, it, it means that he is preeminent or it means that he has the rights and the responsibilities of, of being a firstborn because, because it's not a, a um, not time bound. It's, it's actually a position that's based on honor. It means here that he has rights and privileges attached to this position. So, so Jesus has a responsibility then as firstborn to act on behalf of his father. If you're a firstborn son in the first century and your father passed away, you would have the rights of your father passed down to you and you are there to be um, in that family the glue that holds those things together, the one who brings those who are far off reconciled. In fact, in the story, the parable of the, you call it the parable of the good father or the loving father. It's really many times called the parable of the prodigal son. You've got the younger son that goes away. You've got the older son that's really mad. And you've got this father who has a heart passionate in pursuing both of them. Um, one of the things that the older son should have done culturally in that story is when his son, when his younger brother goes off and basically says, dad, I wish you were dead. I want my portion of the inheritance. I want to go. That older brother has a cultural responsibility to step in and to bring reconciliation from the younger son back to his father. One of the things we see in that story is the older brother doesn't do that because the older brother has his own mess going on in his own life. That then in Jesus' story, the, the father comes back to him and he, and he has that conversation at, at, at the end of that there. But, but the point is this, when it says that Christ is the firstborn of creation, this is a position based on honor, not based on time. It's based on honor um, and, and it has rights and privileges attached to it. And we see that lived out in this passage. Um, we, we know it's not just a, a, a number in here because he's saying within here that, that he is to have first place in everything. And, and he describes throughout this passage that here is what Christ has done on behalf of the Father to bring a, a lost and to bring an alienated son and daughter back to God. He, he has these rights and these privileges over all creation. And then he goes to saying, for everything was created by him. And a couple verse, or a couple um, lines later, it'll say everything has been created through him and everything has been created for him. And so what we get this idea that um, created by him, through him, and for him, that Christ is at the center of all of this. He's at the center of all of this. The, the reason that he is firstborn, the reason that he is the image or, or, or the, 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 the proofs of all of this power is that he is actually the one who holds all things together. In fact, he says this, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and 
for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. By him all things hold together. Um, This picture of God as creator sets him outside of our temporal time right? It sets him outside of his creation. Because if you're the creator of something, it means that you existed before all the things that you were going to create existed. In fact, scripture says this a couple different ways. One of the areas that it talks about Jesus as being creator, um, Paul is talking to a group of people at a very intellectual place called the Areopagus. It's, it's called Mars Hill, and it's in downtown Athens. It's this rock that you walk up to, and there was a whole bunch of conversation that would happen there about this latest philosophy and that latest God. And he says to these um, people, um, as, he's, as he's discussing with them on the Mars Hill, um, he says, I see as I've walked throughout all of the city of Athens here that you are very religious people. And he says, I even saw a, a, an altar or a statue um, uh, made to an unknown God. And he says, I want to proclaim the God that you don't know. I want to tell you who he is. And he says this, he says, the God who made the world And everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. What Paul wants you to see in this um, ancient first century, most likely ancient first century hymn in Colossians, is that Christ is before all things. You might try to place him in time. You might try to say that he's just a man. No, he's actually a creator of the universe. He is the creator of the universe. Let me be more precise. Not a creator. He is the creator of the universe. John's gospel will address Gnosticism as well in various ways, and his letters will too. And in the beginning of John's gospel, it says, in the beginning, what was the word talking about Jesus and the word was God in the word in the beginning was the word and the word thank you keep going <clears throat> sometimes you go down the path and you're like you got it and then you can't remember how it goes and you don't want to butcher it in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made <laughs> I got it by the time I got there. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And you jump down a couple of verses, and it says this. And the word became flesh, talking about Jesus. And he took up residence among us. We have seen his glory. The glory is the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The picture we are to have of Jesus is not only that he's our reconciler, but he is before all things. And because he's the creator and the sovereign of the universe, he has the right to be first place in our life. All right? Um, he's firstborn over all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. We come down to this. So he's talking about Christ over creation. Then we come to verse 18. Christ is not only over all creation. In verse 18, it says, he is also the head of the body, the church. Um, the body is a metaphor that Paul likes to use in particular um, to talk about (laughs) y'all and not just you all, because he's not just talking. I mean, he's talking to the church at Colossae, but he's talking not just to that church. He's talking to every believer in Jesus Christ throughout all time, beginning 
at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, where, where Jesus in his ministry says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. There's this body, there's this group of called out people, this ecclesia, who are united with Christ as the head of the body. And, and so we are part of that body. You are part of that body if you're a follower of Jesus here today, regardless of your affiliation with, with a denomination, regardless of your past. If you are in Christ, you are part of the body, the church, of which Jesus Christ is head over. And it's interesting because it's really easy to think of the church as an organization. But Paul doesn't paint that picture. He seems to rather paint it as an organism. Right? An organization has, you know, bylaws and 501c3 and, and all these like stuff. <laughs> An organism is living, it's moving, it's breathing. It has parts that atrophy for a time. It has parts that grow for a time. It has parts that are interconnected and interdependent on one another. And when Paul describes the church, who is given the task by Jesus to take the message of the gospel to the world and to be Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation in the world, he's talking to every believer in Jesus Christ. What gets you into this um, body is not whether or not you sign a doctrinal statement, right? What gets you into this body is not whether or not you are a member of something. You can be a member of any organization. What makes you a part of this, what makes us a part of this, is that you and I have been reconciled to God through his son's death and his resurrection. Our sins have been paid for. We've been given new life. We are new in Christ, and therefore we are part of the body, the church. Now, even within the body, there are, of course, different leadership roles within the church. Um, there are pastors and there are elders that serve as, as under shepherds under Christ, but don't, don't mistake the fact that the one who is Lord of the church is Christ, right? You and I, we answer to him, <laughs> In everything, we answer to him. We, we go to him. We, we, I'm not your mediator. I'd be a lousy mediator. I'm not your Jesus. I'd be a lousy Jesus. There's only one who can give you life. There's only one who can bring you um, clarity on the things that you have before you. There's only one who can meet you with everything you need. And that is Jesus. He's the foundation of all things. Never miss it. He is intending to be first place in your life. He wants to be first place in your life because he's the head of the body, the church. Now, the other thing about the church that's really kind of important for us to remember is that the church is, is, um, is a place where we are under the, the, the leadership of Jesus Christ. But if we walk alone, we open ourselves up to a lot of heresy. We open ourselves up to a lot of, of unreckoned sin. We open ourselves up to danger areas. Um, there's important reasons why God brings not just an individual Christian, but he brings a whole group of people together. Because together, we can best and we can better or better and best represent 
the love of God to the world. Jesus says to his disciples, um, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Sometimes it's hard to love people that are just different than you. You, you, you might be um, both believers, but sometimes it can be really hard to love them. <laughs> but how we love one another, how we pursue one another out of the pursuit God has given us is a way that we can demonstrate to the world the amazing love of God. How we speak to one another in our lives helps us become better, right? When a brother or a sister comes up to you and they say, hey, I see this in your life. Tell me what's going on. And, and they actually mean it. And they don't mean it from a place of judgment, but they mean it from a place of, I want to help you mature and grow in your walk. Man, what a gift that is. Sometimes it's hard to receive, but what a gift that is when you have someone who that actually cares about your walk. Paul, we're going to read in a later verse, um, desires to present everyone mature in Christ. He, he's one of these people who, who wants to help others follow Jesus better. He can't be their Jesus for them, but he wants to help them pursue Christ. In fact, one point in time, I think it's in Corinthians, he's going to say, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, look, look at my life and let my life be a model for how you are to walk. We need each other in this organism. There are things that I can do that you can't do. And there are things that you can do that I can't do. I was reminded of that this week, just walking through a couple of things in life um, and, and trying to find an answer or a couple answers to stuff. And I needed some people to step into my life and help me see that maybe I didn't need to have that answer, but maybe God placed them there to help me have the discernment through the working of God to move towards an end. There's things, friends, that I need you for in my life. There's things that you need me for in your life. One of my, one of my favorite moments from this past week was visiting with someone and I was getting ready to leave the room. I just said, hey, how, how can I, how can I pray, pray for you? And we prayed together there for a moment. But, but one of the things he said to me is he said, just continue to pray every day for me. He said, I pray for you every day. That's a humbling thing. To think that there's someone who cares enough about my walk with God and about my ministry in the world to say, I pray for you every day. We need each other in this thing called the Christian life. He says, he's before all things. And by him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. Now here is a reference to, he, he is the firstborn from the dead. He, he rises to, um, to a new resurrected body, 1 Corinthians tells us, that he is the first fruits of this new kind of, of, um, of, this new kind of uh, resurrection body. But notice why he, he is all these things or the purpose for which he has all these things. Verse 18 in the middle says, so that he might come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. You know, in the ancient period, um, a lot of people thought they were in first place. One of those people was, was the, the Caesar. Uh, at the time of Paul's writing, it's likely Emperor Nero. Uh, here's a photo of Nero. I cropped it because some of those ancient photos are just not that appropriate. Um, <laughs> 
But, but what I want you to see is in his left hand, in his left hand, there's this globe, right? Paul's presentation of Christ, one author says, as the supreme ruler of all creation for whom all things were created was extremely countercultural in his Roman context in which the emperor was presented as the supreme ruler of the world. In contrast, here is one of the images that was used in ancient Christianity. This ancient Christian symbol is known as a globus cruciger. For those of you who know Latin, or actually for those of you who don't, me included, it's Latin for cross-bearing orb. And, and this stands in stark contrast to the Nero who says, I've got the whole world in my hands. I have supreme power. I am Lord over you. What this says is that this represents Christ's dominion over the world. One writer says the symbol can be contrasted with the depiction of Nero holding the globe in his hand. When I was a kid, we learned that song. He's got the whole world. And thank you. You didn't leave me. You didn't leave me standing there. Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his, he's got the whole whole world in his hands. The, the one who is supreme over the world, the one who is the head of the body, the church, he holds all things together. And I'm grateful for that because I don't know how Nero, Nero was a crazy guy. Like he, he was paranoid. He, he was maniacal. He was wicked and evil in so, so many ways. But even as powerful as Nero was, he couldn't hold the whole world in his hands. One day Nero dies and Nero is no more. <laughs> Jesus is the only one who can really hold the whole world in his hands. And we look at our world today and we, we look at this last week of, of having um, earthquakes in Syria and in Turkey. We look at wars in Ukraine. We look at inflation in the United States and around the world. We look at sickness and we go, where's the hope? And the hope is in Christ. The hope is in Christ. The hope isn't in the things of this world because all the things of this world are ultimately powerless. Jesus Christ is the one who brings hope. And why does he bring hope? Verse 19 says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This isn't a bodily form, by the way, combating the Gnostic heresy that the body is bad. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself. Not just me and you. He starts off by talking about reconciliation, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, reconciliation is first off for everything. Like he, he's, his desire is to reconcile the whole world that has experienced the cost of sin. To reconcile everything to himself. How does he reconcile? By making peace through his blood on the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The, the Roman ruler one of the phrases back in that time was Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome came typically with a sword. Uh, it, it came like, I will force peace. And if you try to revolt, we will put that to bed. The kind of peace that God brings through his son, Jesus, is a very different kind of peace. It, it's a peace that, that's shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. It means wholeness. It, it means a restored relationship. In fact, the word reconcile is a beautiful word. It is the word apokatalasso. 
I practiced this last night. Apakatalaso. Apakatalaso. There it is. Apakatalaso. You got to go with the accent. And the word reconcile here means, describes a process of restoring broken interpersonal relationships to exchange a hostility for friendship. See, Romans is a great verse. You can look it up later. It talks about how we were once separated from God. We were, we talked about this last week, we were in Adam. According to God, there's basically two kinds of people, right? Uh, At the most basic level, there's in Adam and in Christ. You're in Adam, we're all born in Adam. You're separated from God by sin, right? There's no way to pile out of this on your own. But in Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection, we can have a restoration of broken interpersonal relationships. We have an exchange of hostility for friendships. But here's the amazing thing. This doesn't come about because of our ability. It comes about because God has come to us. In the ancient period, as in the, in the modern period, um, many times reconciliation happens because someone goes to someone and they give penance or they, they do things to make up uh, for this, uh, for, for something that's been done. But what's amazing about the reconciliation that God offers is it's initiated by him. It, it says in the scripture, um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? Not when you had everything cleaned up, but when you were a sinner, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And I love the way that William Barclay puts this, talking about this reconciliation idea. He says this, he says, in the death of Jesus, God is saying to us, I love you like that. Right? I love you like that. The cross, he says, is the proof that there is no length to which the love of God will refuse to go in order to win men's hearts. He says, if the cross will not awaken love and wonder in men's heart, nothing will. Because this is the fullest expression of how God thinks of you. You are worth Jesus to God. It's the fullest expression of the love of God and how far God would go to bring you back to himself. So God is Lord over creation. He is the head of the body, the church. And all I've just been talking about comes into focus here in these last verses. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. We were culpable for all this. But now... It's, a, it's such a great phrase. But now, like, this is who you were. He talks to the church, but this is who you are now. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, which is separated, set apart to be used for the purposes of God because you become new in Christ. Faultless, when God looks at you, he sees He sees his child. He doesn't see your sin because your sin has been wiped as far as from the east to the west. Your sin both past and your sin present and your sin future in God's economy. He doesn't see it. He looks at you as faultless and blameless before him. That's what reconciliation does. It says here, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and you're not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, he says, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, I've become a servant 
of it. Paul, there, there's a phrase here, and it's an interesting phrase, and we'll close briefly here. But this, this phrase here, if indeed you remain grounded, scholars talk about this because it's a conditional phrase. Some people say that you have to remain grounded in order to, <laughs> but, but what we see all the way up until this verse is that Paul is saying to the Colossians, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are because of what Christ has done. The, the, the condition here, I think, is a positive condition. One person says this about it. Um, they say that, that this if statement here does not change the past. In other words, the present condition of a person in Christ doesn't change the past. The conditional syntax Paul uses implies confidence that the readers will continue to persevere in their faith, that they will grow towards maturity. Elsewhere, Paul says in Philippians chapter one, just a couple verses earlier uh, in the in the book before, he says in chapter one, verse six, he says, I'm sure of this, after giving thanks to them, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a great hope that we have. We may struggle with our flesh. We may struggle with temptation here. But if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you can be safe and confident and assured that the God who initiated salvation in, in your life that you responded to in faith, the God, the God who stepped down will keep you. The God who stepped down will keep his promises. The God who stepped down into your life can work through you today. He can work through you today. He, he can help change your heart because all of our lives need to be continually growing in maturity, but he takes you as a, as a changed child of God and he takes your mind and he says, will you present your mind to me that I might transform it? Will, will you present your will to me that I might give you my passions and that you may walk with me in this journey called life? Will you give me your emotions today? Not being led by them, but, but rather giving them to God and saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. And will you receive the grace he wants to give you to walk after him? Two bits of application today for you. The first one is this. Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Have you received the gift of salvation and the gift of uh, reconciliation, the being exchanged of hostility for friendship that God offers you today? If you haven't, the reason Jesus came, the reason why he went to the cross was to show you how much he loves you. And he offers you today salvation in his name. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I cannot be made right with you apart from any other way, but except by your son's sacrifice, which not only covers my sin, but it cleanses my sin. The amazing news and the confidence that we have in the gospel. Have you experienced reconciliation through God today? The second question I have for you is, is God first in your life? Is God first in your life? Does he have first place in everything? And, and, and even now, um, especially now, I want to invite you to just take a moment, maybe close your eyes 
and just ask God, Lord, what are the areas of my life where I'm putting something else first instead of you? God, where am I trusting myself? Where am I trusting my abilities? Where am I trusting someone else's abilities? And not trusting you. And as the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, I invite you just in an, in an active prayer to say to God, God, I, I release my hold on this. And I desire to receive the good gift of grace that you long to give through your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have not left us on our own, but that you meet us with what we need here today. Many of us are here, God, and, and we've been walking in our own strength. We've been walking in a way to meet our own needs apart from you. And, and God, we thank you that you forgive us already. We pray, Lord, that we would know who we are in Christ, that we may walk in the power of Christ in us. Father, continue to reveal these things to us throughout our week as they come up. Make us very sensitive to hearing your voice and to returning to you, the giver of every good and perfect thing. And Lord, we know that this does not always promise. In fact, many times it does not promise an easy life. We know that in this world, Jesus tells his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because you have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord, for the places that you set us in this week, for the opportunities we have to be the body of Christ that bears witness of your son who came and who died and who rose again to bring new life to a humanity that you created in your image and a humanity that you loved but a humanity that was separated because of sin. We thank you, Father, for leading us in paths of righteousness this week for your name's sake. We are here for you. It is in you that we live and we move and we have our being. We bless you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah and our Redeemer, we say, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.